Hey gang, Ross Brand here for LivestreamUniverse.com. This is Ask the Expert, the show where we take your questions for our expert of the month, who's Roberto Blake, uh, YouTube star, 200,000 followers, subscribers on YouTube, video marketing and video production expert, also graphic designer. He does a little bit of everything, knows all about photography, does more than a little bit. He's uh, He does a lot of everything, knows about photography, gave two uh, talks at Summit Live, will be a keynote speaker at CreatorCon Live. You'll be uh, speaking at, where else? You'll be speaking at Social Media Marketing World, right? Next month, yeah. Coming up coming up so a lot going on with roberto blake we want to bring him in uh he is the man who creates something awesome all the time has a youtube channel in which he puts out videos daily we've been talking about youtube this week talked to owen video on monday and so great to have one of our favorites here at Livestream universe roberto blake welcome roberto how's it going Roz? Hey, it's great to have you on. Um, there is a ton of stuff happening uh, with YouTube. So before we get to people's questions, uh, let's just get right into what's going on with YouTube. Uh, yeah, we should mention that into the news. <laughs> yeah, we should mention that the show is brought to you by Livestream Universe. Check it out, LivestreamUniverse.com. And YouTube is getting into the TV business, or at least trying to take on cable, it looks like. Uh, you saw the announcement, I believe it was, was it last night or the night before, YouTube TV, $35 a month, and uh, you can cancel your cable, right? Eh, something like that, pretty close, at least for a lot of us. A lot of us actually will be able to, in fact, uh, cancel our cable, Ross. Uh, I might be one of them. <laughs> you think so? You think you might use it? Yeah, I think this might be the thing that finally gets me to completely cut the cord. I mean, I'm pretty close as it is. I, I'm very close. I mean, I mostly watch Netflix. I mostly catch my shows the day after on whatever the website is uh, for the network. So I rarely use my television you know, for regular live TV as it is. But this... This could put me over the edge for a couple of reasons. you mind if I get into a couple of the features? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So this is going to let you have a cloud-based DVR, and you're going to get to keep it for much longer than you normally would. I think that they said you're going to get to be able to keep whatever you DVR in the cloud for a couple of months. Usually, uh, the most you get out of a lot of the other providers is like maybe two weeks. This is going to let you keep it for like, I think, close to like two months. So that's pretty amazing when you think about it. You're going to be able to log into, um, you're, you're going to have six logins. You can only uh, have simultaneous streaming, I think, for two or three devices at a time. But right. you can you know, have six logins. So families might need uh, more than one account or might need to upgrade to, upgrade to another tier. But I think that's going to be interesting. At the $35 price point, though, you're going to get most of the major uh, networks. You're also going to get ESPN and ESPN2, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot going on with this. And aside from the cloud DVR features... I think this is going to be great because for creators, the algorithm and the uh, artificial intelligence behind Google is going to be powering this. And it's going to recommend YouTube videos based on what people are watching. And they're going to be able to watch this on their television, on their devices, which means that this is more promotional opportunity, especially for entertainment YouTubers, vloggers, 
people like that uh, because based on people's viewing habits, they'll get recommended YouTube videos as well. And I think that this is gonna help elevate the status right. of YouTube creators to television networks and television channels. So how does it change things? Because I mean, right now, if you have, um, you know, Chromecast or something, right, you can already push your YouTube viewing to a TV, right, and watch it on a big screen. Is that correct? Or Yes, but it's not quite the same thing. With YouTube TV, you're going to be getting regular basic cable as well, just like you would from a provider like Time Warner or uh, Xfinity, Comcast, uh, Cox, etc., which means that you could go ahead and you could be watching the football game, and then it could recommend to you right after the game is over some live commentary from like a YouTube sports podcast that video podcast on YouTube. So that's very different than what you have with Slingbox and Chromecast and all those things right now to where you'd have to watch it. You'd have to go and go over to your YouTube app um, separately or whatever by using YouTube TV as a service. And yeah, it'll be an app and an appliance and everything. But if you're using YouTube TV and you're using that app, it means that let's say I'm watching Game of Thrones. I'm watching the newest season of Game of Thrones. Right afterward, I can be recommended like a YouTube channel that's live streaming a recap and review and reaction of it, and I can be engaged with that. That is really different than anything we have right now, Ross. And so I you're going to get those same recommendations that you would get if I watched a Roberto Blake video and then I got other uh, recommendations that are similar to it now I may get one of your videos or one of Mitch Jackson's videos that relates to a TV program that I just watched on CBS or NBC or something like that. Yes, and now we as consumers get to choose how we watch, and it means that now television and internet viewing are married in a way that they haven't been before, and that now the line between the two can pretty much be eliminated. And with the production values that some people do with really like fancy cameras and, and drones and other things like that, the production values that are put in the hands of the average person, the average creator that has like $2,000 to throw at this, or even about $1,200 to throw at this, they can compete with television now. I think it's amazing. So I just want to welcome some people. we got some great people here. Cheval John is here, Mitch Jackson, Dr. Finch. Uh, Kathy Klotz guest uh, is here. Q is here. And uh, Mitch Jackson has a question. Um, how can we uh, use this new YouTube option for our businesses? Well, it depends on what your business is. If you're in the video production space, this is going to be fantastic for you. If you're a YouTube consultant like me, it's going to be fantastic for you. If you're a marketer or you're in advertising, this is going to be fantastic for you. Now, in terms of a regular general business, I would say that the best thing you could do for your business, if you're any type of service-based, client services business, make a show somehow around your business. Make some kind of regular serialized piece of content that might be 15 to 20 minutes in length like a traditional television show with advertisements and make it feel like a TV show so that, and you can label it by the way as a show in YouTube. YouTube has that feature. So that means that if Mitch Jackson does a show that is about law, he might be a recommendation if I'm watching Law & Order 
or I'm watching, uh, you know, reruns of JAG. So that would be a way that he could, um, you know, have it impact his business. Serialization. Our friend Kathy Clotes guest, if she is doing a regular produced comedy show, or even if she doing, she's doing improv, it means she, if she's optimizing well, might be a recommendation after I watch Comedy Central if she does it right. Or if I'm watching something like I'm watching SNL and they're doing uh, political parody, anyone who's a comedian that does political parody might be a recommendation if they're tagging it right. Right. And so now if you want to get those shows recognized, I imagine how popular your content is, is going to have some impact on whether, and it's nice if I put myself back on screen, uh, <laughs> will have some impact, right, on whether you get recommended next to a popular TV show, or does the algorithm just judge how closely related your content is to other content from YouTube? It's a combination of both, Ross. It's a combination of both, and it really always has been. Uh, but people are overvaluing popularity versus relevance because popularity is very peculiar for robots to judge. Robots judge it very differently than human beings, and people are overvaluing this concept of popularity. The touchy-feely stuff that makes us think that something's popular, a robot doesn't care about that, and the YouTube and Google robots care a lot less about that than they care about data that lets them prioritize and sort. It's kind of like the old days of the library and the Dewey Decimal System and the card catalog. The robots are kind of like that. They need a lot of information to sort you and put you in the right place. But then to say, well, okay, out of all the things that I've sorted that could be related and relevant to this, now what is getting the most watch time and what are people engaging with the most? And it's waiting watch time views and then engagement signals and views. And I would argue that it's still giving more weight to engagement signals than views. I also know for a fact that YouTube is weighting live video uh, higher in terms of ranking and trying to promote and push it more. They want to be a dominant live streaming platform, Ross, which means that if you want to break into YouTube and be unique, live video is a fantastic way to do that, especially if you're not good with scripting your content, you're not good with editing right now. It's why a lot of our friends went to live streaming instead of doing YouTube videos to do video marketing content or to promote their business. I know people who do uh, six-figure sales courses by doing live streaming to pitch their course. So, uh, and they do six figures on that whenever they open their doors. So there are people that I've talked to, uh, people who are clients of mine, they're doing a quarter million dollars using live streaming only but if you use that as a gateway in YouTube right now, you can really grow your business. So, so you, so, so now that puts a priority for people, for people who have been focusing their strategy on Facebook and other platforms to really start thinking about YouTube for live streaming as, if not the primary platform, certainly one of the platforms that you are now regularly creating live content for. Well, I would also argue that you remember you were in my session. Right. Uh, one of the first things that I would say to make the argument for prioritizing YouTube if you're a live streamer is YouTube just released something called Super Chat. And what Super Chat lets you do once is if you have YouTube monetization in general enabled, and let's say you're someone like uh, Kathy, you know, she's great live, she's not great at editing. 
and you were interested in YouTube, but you're weighing that against, well, I already have an audience in Facebook. I already have an audience in uh, Twitter and Periscope. I already have an audience in Instagram. Well, Busker and Twitch are the only two live stream platforms that let you uh, monetize directly and make money and uh, take fan funding until now, because with YouTube Super Chat, in real time, you can actually uh, get donations and get money. Uh, Tim Schmoyer and I were doing a live stream just yesterday, and I jokingly uh, started literally throwing money at my webcam. And we, I, I like, I challenged people to try to um, raise money for them using the super chat. And uh, I think that that particular chat, we like, he pulled in like maybe a few hundred. I don't know if that's normal for people or not, but I know that I think me throwing money at the camera kind of helped jazz people up. And I kept challenging. I was like, Hey, let's see if we can get Tim 300. Let's see if we can get Tim 500. Let's see. I kept raising the bar. <laughs> it was like a telethon. But um, again, I don't know if that's the norm, um, right. but I just think that that's interesting. And so I think if you're a live streamer that you could go to YouTube and you could make 20, 50 bucks in a live stream instantly versus to do that, you would have to get a crap ton of views to uh, get that kind of return on a video. And when you're doing it on Facebook, you have no way to monetize. If you don't sell something, you don't make money. When you're on Periscope, if you don't sell something, you don't make money. People don't really use Instagram that way because the video goes away. So if you want to make money as a live streamer and you're not a Twitch gamer or a Twitch uh, art visual artist, or, or if you're not uh, big on Busker right now, then right. If you go to YouTube. Anyone who's watching you who's getting value can throw you 2 or 5 or $10. And the reality is that if you're somebody in the professional community, you probably have an audience on YouTube if you start putting content Hit there. that donate button, right? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, so it's called, it's called Super Chat. And the other value to get out of Super Chat is that their question is highlighted. Right, right. So if somebody donates, then their question's highlighted or any question is highlighted? Their question is highlighted if they donate. Now, granted, you have Q&A, you have the chat stream going on, and yeah, you can see stuff, but that's a way to make your stand out and everything like that. It's a way for people to ask for shout outs. So there's a lot of value there in terms of I think that someone is probably literally just going to do like, I guarantee you that within the next two months, someone will do nothing but a shout out stream and they'll rake in like a thousand dollars a stream doing shout outs. Welcome, Nancy. Welcome, Rachel Moore, where you're watching Ask the Expert with uh, YouTube star 200 and 200K, 200,000 subscribers. Now, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Roberto just crossed that milestone. We're talking with Roberto Blake. Uh, what? Almost almost 13 million views. Approaching yeah, 13 like million views. I mean, and yeah. how many videos in total do you have now uh, on YouTube? Publicly, it's about 930-something. Uh, I know that I have some unlisted videos that go to my email list. Uh, so I know I've done over 1,000 videos on YouTube, plus all my collabs. I've done like maybe 100 collabs. So I know I've done over 1,000 videos on YouTube. I know that, and that's in the last like almost four years. And I know that um, for a fact with live streaming that I've done somewhere between three and 500 live streams across all platforms together. So I'm no stranger to video. And you can check out Roberto's channel at uh, youtube.com slash Roberto Blake two. Let's get to some more questions. Mitch Jackson asks, will YouTube live allow us to start a live stream from our smartphones and broadcast live to the world? If so, 
Can we bring in more peeps and do interviews? And before you get to Mitch's question, I'll just mention that Roberto was the first person to stream a full presentation on the YouTube mobile app. Actually, Mitch helped out, right? Mitch was uh, working the camera uh, about an hour-long presentation at Summit Live uh, that Roberto did. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be there and attend. And so... Uh, there are some challenges, right, uh, to get to Mitch's question if you want to do uh, a live mobile broadcast on YouTube, including the number of subscribers you need to have and some other things. Uh, I'll let you uh, you tackle Mitch's question. Sure. So the um, the YouTube live mobile app, uh, and I'm going to show you guys, it's just the YouTube app, and then uh, you can see that there's a record and a live button there. Now, with regard to that, if you have 10,000 plus subscribers like me, you have access to this right now. They're going to open this up to more people. Now, if you want to use a workaround, if you use Wirecast Go, which is the Wirecast mobile app, you could work around and you could do that and live stream from your smartphone uh, with YouTube today. Um, really? So I, I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, it is a workaround. It's a little bit of a hack. Um, now, that's, again, using the Wirecast Go app. And I actually didn't know that uh, a couple of days ago, a friend of mine uh, from the comment section actually brought that up. So uh, Wirecast, as you know, is a great tool that we use in the live streaming community across the board. And with YouTube, uh, there's a lot you can do with that. Tim Schmoyer uses it to great effect. My friend Sarah Dietschy is using it now for her YouTube live series, uh, Peachy Live. Uh, peachylive.com and it's cool if you like uh, video editing filmmaking vlogging and creative stuff and she actually uh, has a lot of the New York uh, YouTubers she has like a squad of the young uh, New York YouTubers that all kind of get together and they jump on her channel and do live streams throughout the week in addition to her vlogs so what she did to partly answer Mitch's question is you can use live streaming in different ways you could actually have uh, collaborators where you do interviews or you can actually have people take over your channel and do a live stream if you trust them like that. Or if they're if you're a company, you could have your employees do it. So it's a brave new world. Like YouTube Live is going to crush it. I, I still think there's value in the other live streaming platforms, Ross. But when you talk about dollar for dollar, feature for feature, and money and reach, YouTube's where it's at. Yeah, Mitch didn't realize he was making history. He thought you were going out to uh, Facebook Live uh, when you were streaming the talk. So, and 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 Wirecast Go, uh, I think that's what it's called, right? Wirecast Go. It's, sure. That's a free app. You don't have to buy Wirecast to to use that, right? You can just get on that and go to YouTube or go to other platforms, and it allows you to do a few of the the little tricks and things that it's not like the fully loaded Wirecast that you get on desktop. But if that it turns out to be a workaround for people, that's that's pretty amazing. Start broadcast like so. Wow. Then you can sign into your YouTube account right there. And again, I don't know how well you guys can see that. I'm hoping pretty well. But yeah, so you could see that I could literally just start broadcasting from my phone that way. Um, now, what I like about the YouTube version of the the mobile app is that it does a countdown, it does a selfie mode countdown, so you could snap a selfie. So you can do that, and you can edit the thumbnail. You could set up the description, the the titles, the tags, all of it, um, and it's great. And that's all with Wirecast Go. 
you no, I was talking about the YouTube. Oh, okay. the YouTube but but if you use Wirecast Go, will that let you do all that stuff too? Or I'd have to you gotta play that. around with that a little bit, right? I'm not sure you can do some things with like that, but you could always edit it after the fact in the YouTube Studio app that every uh, the YouTube uh, Creator Studio app, where you get all your dashboard data anyway. So if you needed to, you could go into an individual video and you can edit all of those things. Um, so I just did a stream with. Uh, the Mavic Pro, you know, which I have uh, right here in my lap, actually. Right. Uh, so I just used uh, my drone, and I shot a live stream with this today uh, before um, our stuff before sundown. And uh, that was pretty cool. And it took the audio from my phone while I was doing that. So I was able to uh, use this both as a remote, and it was the audio. And the audio came out pretty good, actually. And I was flying the drone around the neighborhood and giving some drone tips while I was live streaming with it. And it was the first time I'd ever done it, first time I'd ever connected it to YouTube Live. So again, when I, when I look at the potential of what live streaming can be and what it can do not only for you broadcasting yourself, but sharing experiences and moments and a piece of the world. And then when I think about what platform serves that best, I really feel like it's YouTube. I like and I participate in all the other platforms, as you know especially as a marketing practitioner. Right, right. And it's not that I favor YouTube just because it's my biggest um, overall platform in social media. It's because, I mean, because you know my first love is Twitter. Um, right. And you know that that's the place I'm most actively engaged. It's not even my YouTube comment section. I'm in Twitter more than I'm in my own YouTube comment section. Um, I love Twitter. And Periscope was my favorite for a long time. And I still use it in my business, uh, like weekly. But... In terms of overall potential and in terms of feature set and in terms of monetization opportunities, again, it's YouTube. Definitely. And I want to get into some of those opportunities with you and, and have a few questions for you on that. I do want to bring a question from Rachel Moore from earlier. She asks about Super Chat and do you need a certain number of subscribers in order to activate that feature? No, you do have to verify your YouTube account with a phone number and you do have to have monetization enabled and link it to your Google AdSense account. One tip I will say is always, if you don't have a Google AdSense account yet, use the same Gmail address that your YouTube channel has. It'll make linking them easier. So now when you talk about opportunities for monetization for people who are just starting to build their YouTube channel, starting to become more active, starting to move beyond using YouTube perhaps as an archive or a portfolio of their work and starting to make it more of a social network where they are becoming more engaged and trying to build a following and things like that. How would you recommend that people start going about the process of working toward monetizing a YouTube channel and monetizing their video content? First of all, go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash RobertaBlake2. And that's not just a plug. I have a how to grow your YouTube channel playlist. In my featured playlist, you'll scroll down. It'll be the fr Friday episodes. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> wow. Fried up real quick. Take, take a drink. Take a drink. Uh, during while, while Roberto grabs a drink, we'll just <sighs> remind you we're talking to Roberto Blake 
on Ask the Expert. Guys, uh, Roberto is providing so much great information. Uh, please do share this out. Uh, like it, comment, share, and let people know so that they can come on and join the discussion and bring their questions for Roberto as well. And that's what we call a fill. And now back to Roberto. Hope you're feeling a little bit better. Yeah, I'm a lot better. Um, so I have a series in my YouTube Fridays uh, playlist that's literally um, like how to make money on YouTube. Um, it's part of my overall like how to make money online series as well. And I literally covered like 10 different ways that people can make money on YouTube. I now have to add super chat to that because we used to have this thing called YouTube fan funding. Now Patreon is kind of taken over that more. So Patreon is a third party site where uh, if you have a podcast, a blog, or a YouTube channel, or anything, people who are fans of yours can donate and can fan fund you. So you have that. That's one way. AdSense, the ads that you get on the YouTube videos, that's obviously another. If you're live streaming, you get donations via Super Chat. So there you go. One of my favorites is affiliate marketing, so that when I review products like this drone, I make bucks from Amazon, or if I recommend another service like Bluehost or something like that. So that's another way. Um, sponsors, obviously. I've worked with companies and brands that do sponsorships like HP and um, you know other just various companies, TubeBuddy, et cetera, that have done sponsorship and I get products, but I also sometimes get uh, compensated for my time and to go through doing a highly produced brand-oriented piece of content or just a plug or a mention. And I only do it for like stuff that I use or stuff that I would use because sometimes I'm a little expensive, as you might be able to tell. I use like fancy stuff. So sometimes I'll get paid to do a review on a budget product because somebody who is not in my situation needs a solid recommendation for something. And for me to review something that I might not normally use that I have to get educated on versus my fancy stuff, that takes time out of my day and I have to you know, go through that. So charge appropriately for your sponsorship. So that's another way to make money merchandise if you want to like sell shirts that's another way to do it you can also do if you're a marketer in our space you can sell online courses you can sell uh books and info products those things uh work very well and you can obviously also use youtube to sell your services so someone like mitch can use a youtube channel to uh basically use it the same way you would a television spot because YouTube is the new TV. We know that because YouTube TV is coming and everything like that. And more people already are consuming on YouTube. Uh, the Wall Street Journal put out article. I know not everyone wants to still believe that they're a reputable paper. I would make the argument that three people don't represent the company unless only three people work for the company. But they get more right than wrong. And one of the numbers, the things they got right was the numbers they just released about the billions upon billions of hours of YouTube consumption over indexing versus television. That's a number that I would take seriously. If you want to be skeptical about anything else they say about YouTubers, I will allow that scrutiny. When we're talking about data, I'm going to trust the numbers that they're, they're throwing out there and say that, yeah, those are reasonable numbers that you should take into consideration. So right. I, I would look at that as the opportunity of, wait a minute, if I could be on public cable television for free, would I leap at the chance to do that and figure out what my 10 minutes of content are going to be? The answer is yes. So if you're on the fences, should I be on YouTube? Should I bother with YouTube? Would you get on television if it was free? Even if it's five or 10 minutes? Absolutely. The answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. Hell yes. 
thank you, please, when can I get on again? That's right. that's the answer. <laughs> Quick shout out to a few people who just joined us. Jen Nelson is here, actually been here for a little bit, as has Mahmood, and Brad is here. Brad, good to see you. And Anthony is here. And uh, we talked about, Mahmoud asked the question about uh, YouTube TV. And, and we talked, uh, we got your basic thoughts on that earlier. So I'll kind of redirect, but bring it up again. Sure. As we move towards YouTube TV and people want to get their content found, and, and you mentioned that the algorithm is going to favor content that's similar to other content that's being broadcast on TV channels, TV cable networks, things like that that are now being carried on YouTube. Uh, how important is it for those of us, and I, I'd put most uh, live streamers in this category, who are doing videos with their phones and webcams and things like that to start to upgrade their video equipment, their set, their background, their their audio, all these things. Is that going to be important in, in terms of people wanting to watch your content on the big screen after watching a, a TV show, how it presents? Or would you say spend your time thinking about content and just focus on uh, the content and SEOing it and things like that so that it is... Uh -huh content marketing and distribution and don't script the audio that's it look reality tv has lowered the bar mm -hmm. like in a lot of ways and it's the dominant thing that's consumed on television right now as for production values where did i put my phone <laughs> this this camera you sir you heard me say this in my, the camera in this phone is better than what spike lee had when he shot do the right thing get over it like, it, you, you don't have to have the fanciest camera in the world. And if we go ahead and we use an Archon mount to stabilize it, we throw an Archon light in there, and we throw a Rode Video uh, Mic Me in there, that's less than $100 to turn this into a film production studio that has stabilization, quality audio, and lighting. Wow. Do you really need more than that when it comes to uh, video production and filmmaking. You really don't need more than that. And keep in mind that I got to over 100,000 subscribers shooting on what is now a $350 camera in front of my work desk and my bookshelf. Uh, and there are people who have gotten away with doing much less than that. Uh, and I used $100 worth of lighting. Most YouTubers used natural light with their window and only shot like, you know, during noon. So I think that if people look at the fact that quality and internet video is consumed much more than broadcast television. There are YouTubers getting millions of views a day. CW has a show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It has a, probably about maybe 150 people on the production crew and staff and about uh, a dozen principal characters. That show only brings in about 1.8 million views per episode and has a 12-episode season. The wow. cost and production values to do that show for the CW versus you have YouTubers filming in their bedroom. Nothing wrong with that. And, Ross, I'm using the Logitech C922X Pro just like you are right now. Right. And I, uh, I have a, a little one of the fancy lights going on. And the thing is, if I was in front of my bookshelf instead of in front of my corner of my desk, there, what, do you really see any quality in the difference in light? Are you experiencing any major differences in the quality of audio and the visuals than if you were watching anything on, on cable right now? 
Like, can no, you, if you I mean, not really. Podcast? This is a talk show anyway, so as long as we can hear you clearly, people are here for the information and, and less focused. If the information isn't good, they're going to tune out if you have, even if you have the fanciest set, million-dollar set built behind you. If it's so not, this is not as good as if you were watching Netflix on your phone right now, right? Right. So if you're consuming on your phone, which we're becoming a mobile-first world anyway, or if you're consuming this on your laptop, and the audience, let's let, let's ask your audience. Like the video quality of me coming through right now, and the audio quality is this about on par with everything else that you consume, regardless of how expensive it is or isn't, when you consume it on your mobile devices. Let's let them tell us that, because I I think therein lies your answer. I think people are overthinking it. And even if you wanted to have the best production values. You could do that for about $1,500. Go to robertoblake.com slash YouTube gear and steal my gear list. <laughs> <laughs> and click those links, right? Yeah. Those are my affiliate links. Sure. I mean, that's I, I'm, I'm walking the walk. I told you right. sell stuff on YouTube, monetize. Yeah. Well, do that. <laughs> and, and so when are the occasions when you do use the higher end equipment? I use that for the majority of my YouTube content. By higher end, I, I really am only talking about my 4K video camera that cost like $600. I slap a $200 lens on that. Um, I'm using about $350 microphone that Sennheiser sent me to review. Before that, I was using my $250 microphone that I bought from Rode. And before that, I was using for about 600 of my videos a Sony lapel mic that cost $20 and had just as good audio within a 10% margin as those other two microphones I just mentioned. The wow. difference in quality between a $200 and $300 microphone versus a $20 microphone is a 10 to 15% margin. That's it. The difference between the audio quality on this $50 microphone that I use for my podcast and the microphone that I use to uh, film my videos it's a $200 price difference, and the quality difference is about 10 to 15% tops. Right, right. I, I mean, the Logitech that you, that you just mentioned, I mean, the difference, this is my first show. I've done a couple of updates with it. My first show doing it with it, and it's a huge difference over a built-in webcam. I have it on, a, on an Archon mount tri tripod, just like you mentioned. Um, and now I can move my computer around. I don't have to worry about that. But also it gives a depth of field that the built-in doesn't have. So it's not just your head up against the screen. but And it does 1080p at 60 frames per second. So you have 1080p, 60 frames per second, and then you get a good microphone. So that means for $200 between that and maybe a small portable light, or mounting on your laptop an Archon uh, light, which uh, I think should be in the store by next week. Um, hashtag not sponsored. Thanks, Archon, though. Uh, but the uh, one of those ring lights, right? You just snap yeah, that on your laptop. Yeah. Exactly. You do that, or you grab it from whoever. Like you know, those are like a twenty dollar thing, right? So for the hundred dollar webcam, a sixty dollar to a hundred dollar microphone, a twenty dollar light, and a thirty dollar portable tripod, all of a sudden. For live video, you have the equivalent of what feels like DSLR quality, what right. feels like broadcast, real broadcast quality. Because, um, again, aside from fancy studio lights right now, how big of a difference is there between like us and anything else you watch live, even when it's like um, a live news commentator? And keep in mind, uh, I'm going to do a video about this probably. It'll be interesting 
Um, I'll do this tutorial hopefully before social media marketing world because I know live streaming will still be a big topic even though my stuff is YouTube video production. But I'm getting a $200 accessory that I can use the HDMI cable, run it from my camera and run it to the computer and I can live stream using my DSLR quality camera. So I can have television broadcast quality now, Ross. I can take a $500 or $600 camera, use a $200 USB accessory, and I can do what cable news does. Wow. I can do and, that, does. and that is a more than a 10 to 15% noticeable upgrade. If you're going to stream from or not as much as you would think. Like if you're going to... Maybe a 25% or 30%. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, but you also run into the issue of you have to have a strong enough uh, computer with processing power to handle that, and you have to have a really good internet bandwidth connection. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about something that people have been discussing lately. And, you know, we always thought, uh, okay, when we got into streaming, laptop is great, right? You can do everything on a laptop now, i7 laptops and all that stuff. And yet, people who are doing serious streaming are saying nothing compares to doing it with a desktop where you can have more things going on at the same time, more more power. Where do you come down on that? Do you use a laptop or do you use a desktop when you stream? And could you see yourself maybe needing to go to a desktop at some point? If you have a very powerful laptop like a MacBook Pro, you're in good shape. But for that investment, you'd get more power proportionate to dollars out of a desktop, I built a desktop that is by and far more powerful than any Mac you're going to buy on the market, period, end of story. And it caught, I, I've spent maybe, not counting the monitors, I spent maybe 2,500 into it, and I could sink a bit more into it and power it up. If I spend the exact same budget that the highest end MacBook Pro has right now, it would destroy it beyond all reckoning. And I say that because Right now, at $2,500, um, and uh, you can go to um, robertoblake.com slash 4KPC build to see the parts that I used. Um, it has six drives in it right now. Three of those are Samsung SSDs, so they're lightning fast, and I use them for very specific things. And then I have um, three four-terabyte uh, Western digital drives in there. They are regular hard drives. Uh, two of them are paired on a RAID array, which means that I have mirrored backup for that storage. Um, so I have, oh wait, actually one of those I think is a six terabyte is the non-rated one. So I have like over 10 terabytes of storage in this computer, 10 terabytes. You're not going to wow. get that on a laptop. I have mirror RAID backup for my video footage, which means two hard drives have to fail before I lose my video files. Hmm. And that's in the computer. And I have a GTX 1070 graphics card. So I have a VR ready for VR gaming and VR headset stuff quality graphics card in here. You're not going to get that on, on the MacBook Pro. Not really. Uh, it's going to have a smaller version of that. I have... I have a my graphics card weighs more than that laptop. You know, so. <laughs> that is a good setup. Um, yeah. Nancy so, asked, "How much editing yeah. do you do, Roberto?" Um, more than most people, and less than people think, because even with the amount of videos that I produce, my editing workflow and my videos are simplistic in their editing, but they're still highly polished most of the time. Um, 
if I'm shooting a five minute talking head video that's tips or uh, uh, or advice, it takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes to edit. And that's with me adding background music, fade in, fade out, jump cuts and color grading, which is still more than what most people can do and will do when they edit. Um, and I do audio uh, balancing. Um, I do audio post-production. And again, it still only takes me like 15 minutes. So with me putting out 30 plus pieces of content on average a month, to produce, meaning to shoot and to edit my videos. I spend 30 to 40 hours per month. I spend someone's work week to get out daily content, highly produced daily content. Um, I could do it all faster and easier if I did everything from my phone, but I like to be fancy. Um, so it's a matter of I take that time, but keep in mind, I've been editing for years. I've been editing for half of my lifetime. I'm 33 and I've been editing since I was like 14 years old. So, um, but you don't have to do that. You can crash course, you can use my tutorials and you can get there fast. If you do it day in and day out for like 30 days, you will be really good at editing. You get really efficient. You can get to almost my level of efficiency probably in 90 days straight of editing. It just takes commitment and setting a habit. You'd have to edit one hour a day for 30 days to get very good and to get very comfortable. And then you can get very fast after 60 more days of uh, doing that. Not sure if you mentioned it. Uh, I was just checking comments for a second. I try to focus on the conversation more than the comments, uh, but I wanted to get through some comments to see if there are any more sure. uh, questions. Did you mention what you use to edit, like what software you use? I use Adobe Premiere Pro for most of my editing. Uh, if I were on a budget and I couldn't use Premiere Pro, I would use CyberLink PowerDirector or Adobe Premiere Elements. Uh, I own both of those programs as well um, and a bunch of others. I will be doing some tutorials in the coming weeks and months, especially as we gear up for social media marketing world, because I know that that will help people. I actually did a training in uh, social media society um, I did an hour long, I think, no, 45 minute long training on Adobe Premiere Elements for beginners. Uh, so I will be having um, a lot of training content coming around CyberLink PowerDirector and Adobe Premiere Elements for the people on a budget. I've done maybe a dozen Premiere Pro tutorials and I have more planned for the summer. So there's a lot of that stuff. Have you used Final Cut Pro? And if so, what do you think I, of it? I did in the past. I actually owned Final Cut Studio and all that. And it's it's fine. Um, and if you want to own something outright for three or four hundred dollars, that's great. And it is still professional grade software. I would make the argument of two things. If you're using Premiere Pro, you can work with multiple editors because you can share a project file. You can't do that with Final Cut Pro, meaning that I could ship my uh, I'm getting ready to hire an assistant editor so I can double my content. I can ship Zoe a hard drive with the files labeled exactly the way that they are on my hard drive. And I could email her a project file or Dropbox or a project file. She can make her edits. I can download her project file, and then I can it can find the exact same files on my computer, and I could tweak them and say, okay, now it's perfect. And right. that, if you're going to work on a team, you're going to work uh, as an agency, um, or you want to outsource, you have to go with Premiere Pro. If you are going to be solo forever then you can um, you can get uh, Final Cut. 
And Final Cut's fast, I will say that, but Premiere Pro is precise and you can work your way and you can customize it. Yeah, Adobe has a little bit of a steep learning curve. Kathy brought that up. My tutorials and my entire content is to take the 500 tools and cut it down to the six you actually need. Right. Because the options are there, but you don't need every option. I make it less intimidating. I did a uh, one of my most watched videos. I think it has close to maybe 150,000 or something uh, views at this point, maybe less. I don't remember. Um, it's a getting started in Adobe Premiere Pro tutorial. If you have the Creative Cloud, you already have Premiere Pro because you have Photoshop and other stuff. Just take advantage of this because this 20-minute tutorial will make you less intimidated because it will take this, the 500 options and pare it down to the six you actually need just to make a video. And so uh, that's my answer. Nancy mentions Adobe Premiere Elements. Uh, do you recommend that as a starting point, the uh, lower budget? Absolutely. It's about 100 bucks. And it's a great starting point. It can also capture from your webcam. It also has some easy to edit animated titles. And you could just throw a voiceover to that and do some like Facebook video stuff that could be very cool or some Twitter, Instagram stuff. So it's a very, it's a much, it's almost no learning curve for that. You could learn it in a day easily. Um, and again, I'm going to play out some tutorials to help with that, but you could learn it in a day and just right. get some really good stuff. Some stuff that looks very polished. Um, so I would say that it's a strong program. It's cheap. It's affordable. It's easy to learn. And you would, would you say, um, let's see, let's say you use it like right now I'm using iMovie. Would you say go to Adobe Premiere Elements next or go to yep. like fin Final Cut Pro? See, to I me, Final Cut Pro I is easier to learn right now than going to the full, uh, you know, Adobe Premiere. Um, but you think Elements is probably the better next step than, say, Final Cut Pro? I would say if you're going to choose between Elements and Final Cut Pro and you're used to iMovie, just go straight to Final Cut Pro because you're used to the Apple ecosystem. I left Final Cut because they dumbed it down, specifically right. for the general user. They made Final Cut Pro basically become iMovie Pro. They took a lot of the Pro out of it, just like uh, they've been doing that with the hardware. They took a lot out of the newest MacBook Pro that I'm not happy about to add gimmicky things that the average person will love. But for someone like me who shoots video all the time and does stuff all the time, the MacBook Pro is not a pro device anymore. I'm going to end up buying one before the end of the year and spending like $2,500 on it because I need to train people in things like Final Cut Pro on the road at conferences and do workshops and stuff like that. And so I'll be forced to do that. I'll get good return on investment. I will make myself get good return on investment for it. I hate the new MacBook Pro, but I'm going to have to buy one because there are going to be people like yourself, Ross, that are going to need help. Right, right. <laughs> and that's why we also have all your great videos. And, of course, uh, you can find out more about what Roberto offers at robertoblake.com. And you can find him on Twitter and across social media at Roberto Blake. His YouTube channel is youtube.com slash robertoblake2. And uh, Nancy asks about Camtasia, and I might as well throw ScreenFlow in there, too, both of which are screencasting software, but also have some editing functionality. I know there are some people who use Camtasia and ScreenFlow just for general video editing. What, what do you think about those programs? I've used Camtasia, and I like Camtasia. Um, I think I still have a license for it on the Mac, actually. Um, my, I still have my iMac. I haven't gotten rid of it, but it's an older iMac, and it's slow now, even with the 
what 16 gigs of ram it's still slow um so not a fan but the um the thing about that is that both of those programs are great for screencasting our friend steve dotto uses them all the time because i have cyberlink power director i use that for my screen captures and it works out fantastic and I like doing that because again, I have Cyberlink PowerDirector already. And because I can edit in Premiere Pro, I don't need a bolt-on thing like that. What I do like about Camtasia and ScreenFlow is its zooming capabilities um, in the uh, desktop applications. Uh, so I do like that. And it is simple for most people to use and doesn't have as high of a learning curve and it's affordable. So uh, I would say that those are good for screen capture. OBS is free um, and QuickTime is free as well if you're on a Mac. Um, so I, I think that those are valid options. I don't have anything against those programs. In fact, because of ScreenFlow, I'm, it's part of the, one of the other, like I think five, six pieces of Mac only software that I want to do more training around on the go at workshops and things like that. Because again, I could just do the tutorials on my iMac, that's fine. But to travel and do workshops and to do training, I, I need to get the MacBook Pro. So I, I would say that ScreenFlow is a great option for about $99. Camtasia on the Mac is $99. It's more expensive on Windows uh, for a lot of reasons, and you have to get the full studio. And uh, I think that they're good choices. If you're not doing screencasting, would you say go with Adobe Premiere Elements over Camtasia or ScreenFlow? Because then you start learning a more sophisticated tool that you can grow with and go into pro? Or would you say if you're doing basic editing, just get like ScreenFlow or Camtasia and keep it simple? If you're doing basic editing, get ScreenFlow or Camtasia because at least you have the option of desktop live streaming and you have the option of doing those cutaways uh, for about roughly the same price. So that's where I would pivot. Um, and again, I, I, I have a bias toward Adobe because I've used them for two thirds of my life for most of my stuff. Um, it's what I'm the most comfortable with, but I have nothing against the other apps. I use everything. Right, uh, right. Uh, as I continue to invest into my ecosystem, and again, for training purposes, you're going to find me just using everything and training on everything, even if it's not my preference. I'm going to be more educated by doing it, and I'm going to help more people, so I'll just get it. I'll shell out the extra 100 bucks on something I will almost never use just right. so I can use it for 90 days so that other people can use what they want to use comfortably and I can make it easier. You, you mentioned those uh, motion graphics with uh, Adobe Premiere Elements, which sounded pretty enticing to me. Do the other programs offer those? Is that something standard or it, no, not, you're not going to find those in most of the, the similarly priced programs? Not in a lot of them. You will in, uh, I think, Final Cut Pro has a lot of pre-made templates and a lot of things. I think iMovie has a few too, um, but you'll find that in Final Cut Pro. You will not find that in a lot of the other software, though. Let's talk real quick about uh, mobile editing. Our, our friend Anthony mentioned Splice is very good for people who try to edit on their phone made by GoPro. Do you do any mobile editing? And even if you don't, what are some apps that you've heard of or, or have tried that you would recommend for people who want to edit that they shoot right on their phone? They want to edit and get it right up on YouTube or on Facebook. Uh, how can they do that on their phone? I have an episodic, uh, episodic vlog series that I do pretty much um, exclusively from my phone called Dear Entrepreneurs. 
Um, I should actually talk to our friends at Archon about sponsoring that web series. Um, and I can bring it back and sponsor them. Um, because all I do with that series, it's a, it's a series about entrepreneurship. And I shoot it all on my phone and I edit it all on my phone. And I do it with nothing but mobile accessories. So um, in the future, I think I'll just have mobile accessory companies sponsor each season of that and um, do like a 15 episode run per season of that. That's a way to do episodic content, by the way, guys. Like you could do interesting things with that. Um, so what I use for that is I use Adobe Premiere Clip and I use that pretty much exclusively for that series. I've also experimented with uh, CyberLink PowerDirector on Android. Uh, because they have a mobile version. Uh, Filmora Go, I think, is on iOS and Android. Uh, Anthony said Splice. I've heard that from other people before. iMovie is on your iPhone as well to edit in and on your iPad, so you can do that. Um, I'm a big fan of using Adobe Premiere Clip, though. And also, Adobe has uh, some other options. It has Adobe Spark Video, which you can get on your phone, but also they have that as a browser-based editor, and you can generate animated text and other things as well using Adobe Spark. So if you go to, I think the website is spark.adobe.com, you can go there and you could make really interesting short ads for Facebook video using that and using voiceover and uh, photos and some animated text and graphics all in your web browser. Very browsing. easy to use too. Very yeah. easy to use. Um, Let's talk quickly about encoders. If you want to stream live, let's say, to YouTube or Facebook Live and you want to do something other than using a platform that's pre-made. And for YouTube, you pretty much need an encoder, right, if you're going to stream from your desktop. Not necessarily. Uh, so how would you – I want to mention OBS, Wirecast, vMix, all that kind of stuff, XSplit. Any before we we get to my question about YouTube streaming, it, just in general, uh, any preferences or thoughts on you know the different encoders like Wirecast, OBS, XSplit, VMix, all that stuff? What do you recommend? What do you use? If you uh, want, to go, if you want to go pro and you want to do some highly produced, highly polished content, and I'm going to be experimenting with a lot of this, I would go with Wirecast. Uh, the paid version for 500. And again, you could use that with like accessories and things like I'm going to do that will let you uh, stream what uh, live stream. Oh, excuse me, using a real camera using like a real camera, right? So you could do that. And you could do even 4k live streaming if you really wanted to experiment with that and you have the bandwidth. So that's cool. But also it means you can do all of the overlays and things you could bring something in from zoom, you could do a pop up and have your comments just on the side, you can get very, very fancy with it. Tim Schmoyer is um, king at doing this. Owen Hemsath from Owen Video is also king at doing this. They are like pro level live streamers right. when it comes to YouTube. I'm going to be learning a lot from them as I experiment with this. And I'm going to be adding my own tweaks because as a graphic designer, I'll have a little bit of an advantage over them. Um, <laughs> so when I get fancy, I can get fancy. Um, oh, you should check out my interview with Owen from Monday because he has a very interesting workflow for his uh, streaming, how he goes to Facebook versus how he goes to YouTube. And he actually said that he's been using OBS, even though he owns Wirecast lately, which is which yeah. is interesting. In so it's interesting that you have both of them and it's interesting what they both do with it. It's different. Um, right. For interviews, though, for interviews, I would suggest going if you're going to interview a lot, which is a lot of where I'm going to use it and you want to get fancy. I'd go Wirecast uh, mm -hmm. Pro uh, for interviews for several reasons. You can queue up things. You could, there's a lot you could do there. Um, and again, higher quality video production. Um, 
Now you can do some of the similar things with OBS. OBS is harder on the interview side though. Um, right. To my it's harder to sync your audio and things like that can get a kind of tricky with OBS. Um, but Wirecast for five hundred dollars, the studio version, whatever. It's yeah. it's it's got layers of power that you can you can you can really grow with and do some professional stuff. Do you recommend Zoom for bringing in your interviews or yes. Skype? What do you? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are going with Zoom now. Zoom, Zoom. Why Zoom. why do you like Zoom? Several reasons. One, um, they actually just got another round of like funding and investment, which means infrastructure wise, they're going to be very stable. So that's huge. The audio quality that I've seen come through on Zoom, you can't beat it. You just can't beat it. And audio is part of the experience. More than anything in a video, we can forgive poor video quality. The audio experience has to be on par. And Zoom's going to give you that that audio experience over Skype? Yeah, uh, in my opinion, yes. And it's stability. Stability. Skype, Skype is great. They could have been a contender. But Zoom also, from a user interface standpoint and ease of use, Skype gets complicated. Uh, yes. And it has a lot of distractions, and you have other people who can call in. Uh, I just feel like it's got too much uh, going on for it as an appliance. Uh, and even for podcast interviews, I used to be a fan of Skype for that, for podcast interviews and record it. Now I'm more inclined to use Zencaster. Right, right. And Zencaster is kind of an all-in-one solution, right? Um, with, rec with regard to podcasting for interviews, I would say more or less. Yes. Minus hosting, obviously. But right. right. Production, in terms of production. Yes. So you recommend Zencaster now for people who are doing podcasting, just go right oh, to Zencaster and do your podcast, your interviews, all that stuff. Oh God. Yes. Do you use that? Will you use that for solo podcasts too, or just for the interviews? Like if you're just yes. doing just for interviews because I am good enough with Adobe Audition. I'm a good enough audio editor and mixer to pull that off. In fact, I've brought back the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. I know you've been uh, listening in on that and digging that. I'll right. actually have another episode dropping later tonight. Um, but uh, the podcast is coming back strong. I'm being aggressive over the next uh, 30 to like 60 days with that, uh, especially leading up to some of these conferences. And then we'll taper back off to like a once or twice a week podcast. But in the meantime, I'm just getting out as many episodes as I can. Uh, I, I'm looking at how quickly can I get to 100 episodes? Because like, you know, very few podcasts ever get to 100 episodes. Right, right. I think it's interesting, even with all your presence on YouTube and your success on YouTube and everything else, you're still focusing on perhaps a different audience or expanding your audience or even giving people who enjoy watching your content on YouTube but can't always have that connectability or that ability to watch something. Now they can listen in a car. They can, they can listen where they don't have Wi-Fi or whatever they can download. So I, I think it's interesting that you're still continuing to churn out many different types of content, not just playing in the sort of the ballpark where you've been successful i i write articles and i was a, i was fairly successful as a blogger before i was ever a youtuber just nobody right. knew like and by fairly successful i mean i was getting like twenty thousand uh plus hits a month on uh, a very niche blog that was just about me being a graphic designer and interviewing artists and digital artists and uh creative people and i did that for a while on my blog and 
the people in that world knew about me. And I was actually, before I ever did a YouTube channel, I was featured in Advanced Photoshop Magazine, Photoshop Creative, uh, won a few contests and awards before I ever did YouTube stuff. And again, it's something that the YouTube stuff overshadows any of that previous stuff, not to mention some of my um, my corporate background. YouTube overshadows all of that, and that's what people know me for now. But I did a decade plus of like working in the shadows under the hood doing things prior to to work up to that and i was learning the whole time and i was uh watching and listening and taking notes and i actually write for how design and print magazine and creative pro as a paid contributor right now um and some other publications that i occasionally write for like smart hustle magazine um you know there's there's a lot that I do with the writing. And then I still put out writing in medium.com pretty much weekly now. I think you've been seeing my articles go yeah. up on different topics. And I'm going to continue um, to do that. Read, watch, listen is a real thing. Reading and watching are highly engaged things that demand our immediate attention. Listening is passive. I would say that podcasting is more scalable than YouTube video content at the start video is depth of emotion and depth of engagement but because we can listen to a podcast and not have to have it take over our entire life and we can do it we can be in the shower we can be on the treadmill we can be in a car or a plane and we can absorb that content uh i think that matters muhammad says he loves my medium and my paperly and i'm also uh thanks to our friend brian fanzo i'm getting into curation with flipboard and my facebook uh fan page is going to be a lot more curation. I'm going to be using it to plug you, plug Mitch Jackson, plug Sarah Dietschy, plug Terry White, plug uh, Craig Adams, Timmy Ham, uh, Elisa Swopes, all kinds of crazy people that are doing amazing things. Uh, my feed is going to be that. It's going to be curation in Facebook. I have a strategy for every platform, Ross. I have a strategy for every uh, media type, uh, every medium, I have a strategy for all of it. I have a strategy for what day of the week it is. And I think that when you're a content marketer, that's very real to you. Wow, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much, Roberto. You This hour has flown by so much great information. I think everybody's got a better idea of YouTube and video editing than they did before we got into this video marketing, content marketing. We could go on and on. It, it's great stuff. Um, really enjoyed hanging out with you at Summit Live and hearing your presentation on YouTube, also being on a panel with you. Can't wait to get together with you again at CreatorCon, where we'll both be speaking as well. Thank you so much. It's RobertoBlake.com is the website. Uh, RobertoBlake2 is the YouTube channel, at RobertoBlake across social media. What else you got going on that you'd like a shout out for? <laughs> uh, if uh, people in your audience, Ross, want to work with me and uh, I'll offer them a discount, I don't know what that discount will look like, but all they have to do is just either DM me in Twitter or in Facebook. Um, I'll hook them up and we can work together on different stuff. I've actually worked with a few people in the audience on various things. And so I, I think that that could be interesting. If anyone needs a video editor, though, I can introduce them to uh, Zoe. She's a wonderful young uh, woman. I met her at Vlogger Fair in Seattle. Uh, she lives in the Midwest and uh, she's a fantastic uh, video editor. She's a vlogger on YouTube and she went to film school. So she's the real deal. And if I'm going to trust her with my brand, then I think people can trust them with uh, theirs. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Roberto. It's been fun. Ask